Good morning, and it's good to be back with you. And if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Mark's Gospel as we continue reading through this chapter. And I'll be starting to read at verse 43. So it's Mark chapter 14, starting to read at verse 43. Just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared. With him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. The men seized Jesus and arrested him. Then one of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Am I leading a rebellion? said Jesus, that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me. Every day I was with you teaching in the temple courts, and you didn't arrest me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then everyone deserted him and fled. A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus, and when they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garments behind. God will add his blessing to that reading of his word, and uh, let's just pray before we come to it. Our Father, we thank you again for this opportunity we have to meet around your word. Uh, as we've read these words in your presence, as we look at them now, we pray that you will just open them up to us, that we might, yes, we might feel familiar with them, but just show us the truths that you have for us this morning that are held within this, your living word. And we come to you in the name of Jesus, as we seek our blessing upon each other. In his name we ask it. Amen. Well, Mark chapter 14, uh, I've titled this section here, Who is in control? So that's the question. Who is in control? Let's read verse 43. Just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared. With him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and teachers of the law and the elders. You know, it, it wasn't just the darkness of the night. It was the darkness of the deed. And this is what we're going to see this morning. It was planned right down to the last detail. The location. The time. The backup team, not just a crowd, but an organized crowd with the authorization of the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. Members of the temple guard, and no doubt Roman soldiers, and they would have been armed and ready for action. So we come to verse 44 and 45. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. This act was thought about, worked out planned and orchestrated by a traitor 
a traitor who was masquerading as a friend. Notice in these verses we see there was no hesitation in what Judas did. There were no second thoughts. He walks at once straight up to Jesus. He calls him teacher. And the act the act that is reserved for being an act of affection is the final herald of affliction. Arrest him. Restrain him and lead him away. And while you're doing that, I'm off to collect my 30 pieces of silver. I thought we'd just spend a few moments this morning and and think about Judas Iscariot. We read a lot in the Gospels and we know quite a bit about him before this incident. But the betrayal by Judas was not a spare-of-the-moment thing. It was premeditated. It was his decision. He planned it. He went to the authorities with his plan. And it was done for personal gain. And also, he was given every opportunity to change his mind. In John's account of the Last Supper... This is what John said, and we did refer to this briefly last week. This is in John 13, verse 27. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. So Jesus told him, what you are about to do, do quickly. We see here the grace of Jesus. Jesus graciously gave Judas the bread and Satan snatched him away. In his heart, Judas had never truly accepted Jesus. And now, although his hands take the bread, his cold heart rejected the final opportunity to repent and believe. I want to say something here. I don't know what you think about it. You see, the death of Jesus on the cross was not reliant on on the treachery of Judas Iscariot. You might say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, I mean that it was the will of God that Jesus would die on that cross, on this day, with or without the intervention of Judas. You see, what we have here is an example of the foreknowledge of God. Do I fully understand it? No. But I believe it. You see, Judas was responsible for his own actions. You know the verse Jesus quoted. You cannot serve God and mammon. And Judas chose not to serve God. Now you can feel sorry for him. But do not make him an unwitting, innocent necessity to the death of Jesus. Judas was guilty of sin and he refused forgiveness. You know, we never hear of any repentance. We only hear of regret. 
I want to refer to Matthew chapter 27 and his verse 3 to 5. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the thirty pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us, they replied. That's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left, and he went away and hanged himself. Hear the words again from what they said to him. And these words are true. They said, that's your responsibility. I was thinking about this, and I want to refer to J.C. Ryle. He puts it in a far better way than I ever can. This is found in his commentary on Matthew's Gospel. And this is what he says, referring to this incident. This is J.C. Ryle. J.C. Ryle, the first um, Bishop of Liverpool. It is a common saying that it is never too late to repent. The saying, no doubt, is true, if repentance be true. But unhappily, late repentance is often not genuine. It is possible for a man to feel his sins and be sorry for them, to be under strong convictions of guilt and express deep remorse, to be pierced in conscience and exhibit much distress of mind. And yet, for all of this, not repent with his heart. There's a great lesson here and there's a great warning here in this passage. Let me repeat those words again from J.C. Ryle. It is a common saying that it's never too late to repent. The saying, no doubt, is true. If repentance be true, but unhappily, late repentance is often not genuine. It's possible for a man to feel his sins and to be sorry for them, to be under strong convictions of guilt and express deep remorse, to be pierced in conscience and exhibit much distress of mind and yet for all of this not repent with his heart. You know, we have a contrast here between the thief on the cross whose late repentance was genuine and Judas who did not repent. He only regretted. Let's move on to verse 46 and 47. The men seized Jesus and arrested him. Then one of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Again, uh, Matthew tells us that Jesus rebukes the disciple who cuts off the servant's ear. Luke, the doctor, tells us that Jesus touched the man's right ear and healed it. John tells us the disciple was Peter and the high priest's servant's name was Malchus and that it was his right ear that was cut off and restored. Just think about that for a moment and think of the consequences of Jesus not healing Malchus' ear. See, if Jesus had not healed, healed the, the injured man, Peter could have also been arrested, could have been tried, and he could have been condemned. But it wasn't in God's plan to have a fourth man on a cross. 
So Peter wasn't arrested because Jesus healed the man's ear. You see, this is a spiritual battle. And the weapon in this battle is not a sword, it is the word. The word of God. And it is the word of God that will be fulfilled. Listen to what Jesus said, verse 48 through to 49 of chapter 14. Am I leading a rebellion, said Jesus, that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you, teaching in the temple courts, and you didn't arrest me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. They're the words of Jesus to the hostile crowd. Who's in control here? Think about it. This is not a rebellion. It is a revelation. The scripture must and is being fulfilled. The question, why did you not arrest me when I was teaching every day in the temple courts? Well, Jesus knew the answer. And we know the answer. We are given the answer many times as we read through the Gospels. The answer is, the hour had not yet come. But by the will of God, in spite of interference by men, the hour is nigh. Think back to the words of Jesus as they prepared to leave Gethsemane. That's found in verse 41 and 42 of Mark 14. Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. The hour has come. I'll ask the question again. Who's in control? Well, God is in control. Mark 14, 50-52 Then everyone deserted him and fled. A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. Have you ever thought about this? Well, a lot of people have. The question they often ask is, who is the man who fled naked? But we're not told. Well, let's just think about that for a moment. None of the other gospel writers record this. There's only Mark who writes it. Could it have been Mark who was the young man? Oh, that's a possibility. Acts 12, verse 12. And this is when um, Peter had been arrested. He'd been in prison. This is after the resurrection. This is after, you know, Jesus had ascended. And Peter is, is freed from prison by the angel. This is what we read. When this had dawned on him, this is dawning on Peter that he's now out of jail. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came and answered the door. So, this is a lady called Mary. She's the mother of John Mark, that's the writer of the gospel. She obviously had a large house, which was Mark's home. This house was big enough to have some kind of outer entrance with another outer door. 
and they also appear to have a servant. And also, there was quite a few people there. Now, was this the house where the upper room uh, that the disciples had eaten the Passover? Maybe, we don't know. Could it be that later that night, uh, was Mark disturbed by the noise of the crowd on the way to Gethsemane? Did he jump out of bed, throw on what we might call his dressing gown, run out to warn the disciples, and then became a witness to the arrest of Jesus and almost got caught in the process and leaving behind what was an expensive piece of clothing, a linen garment? We don't know. <laughs> But what we do know is that the 11 disciples deserted him. Just as Jesus had said they would. Verse 27 and 31 of Mark 14. And again the words of Jesus. You will all fall away, Jesus told them. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. What was about to happen over the next few days was between the Father and the Son. Jesus had come to do the Father's will. He had come to drink the cup that only he could drink. Was this hard for the disciples? Yes. Did they suffer? Yes. Did they understand at the time what was going on? No. Did they feel afraid and deserted? Yes. Did they wonder how anything good could come out of all this suffering? I'm sure that this is what they would be thinking. What do we have that they didn't have? Or well, we have hindsight. What else do we have? that they didn't have. Well, we've got a, a verse from the Apostle Paul. And if you're ahead of me, you know what verse it's going to be. It's Romans 8, verse 28 through to 30. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters, and those he predestined, he also called, those he called, he also justified, and those he justified, he also glorified. So in the light of that verse, let me ask a few questions. Did those disciples who ran away that night love Jesus? The answer was yes. Did Peter, the disciple who disowned him, Love Jesus? The answer is yes. Did Jesus love them? Well, let me answer it this way. While they were doubting and disowning him, he was engaged in the greatest act of love that has ever been offered to mankind. Again, a verse from Romans, Romans 5 verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Who is in control? That was our title for this morning. Well, the question is, who is in control of your life?
Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for these words that we've looked at together. And as we said at the beginning, we are probably familiar with them. But our Father, just renew them, make them over afresh in our hearts and our minds as we apply them to ourselves in our day and in our situation. And our Father, may we know that it is you who is in control, not just of our lives, but in control of all things. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.